Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. Water worries continue to escalate throughout the Southwest. This week, a look at a looming federal deadline and efforts on the state level to assuage a water shortage. Arizona and the six other Colorado River Basin states have until mid-August to drastically cut their water use. Federal officials say that's necessary to keep the Colorado River's giant reservoirs from going empty. If state leaders fail to come up with a plan, they could face a federal crackdown. From KUNC, Luke Runyon has more on what that might look like. In June, Assistant Secretary for the Interior Department, Tanya Trujillo, spoke to a gathering of water leaders in Colorado. She detailed the department's recent charge, that the entire basin needed to cut 2 to 4 million acre-feet of water use to avoid a crisis. That's more than the entire state of Colorado uses from the river in a year. Here's Trujillo. We're going to likely be in a situation of doing things we've never done before. If the states don't meet this summer's deadline and make firm commitments to conserve, Trujillo made it clear the federal government is prepared to step in. At Interior, we have an obligation to protect the physical infrastructure that we own and operate so that we can ensure it will continue to operate. That infrastructure includes the river's two massive reservoirs, Lakes Mead and Powell. They're both in jeopardy of dropping to levels where hydropower shuts off and water can't move through their dams, which would cut off cities and farmers throughout the southwest. But right now, it's unclear if the mandated conservation will come from the feds or the states. I think that's a heavy lift. Terry Fulp ran Lower Colorado River operations for the Bureau of Reclamation for eight years. He says this is a long-standing tension between the federal government and the states. When a crisis takes hold on the river, the feds use the threat of intervention to wrangle even the most stubborn parties to the negotiating table. But Fulp says this time may be different. I think it'll be a big surprise for me if by August the partners come in with a plan. If that happens, the federal actions would vary across the watershed, he says. The Colorado River is split in two. Fulp says in the river's lower basin states of Nevada, California, and Arizona, the feds play an outsized role with a hand firmly planted on the river's largest spigot. Reclamation right off the bat again could change releases, release patterns. That would mean slashing the amount of water that flows downstream from the nation's biggest reservoir, Lake Mead. The states would then scramble to either find new water supplies or impose draconian restrictions. There is a recognition that the situation is even worse than anticipated on the river. J.B. Hamby is a director for the Imperial Irrigation District. The group of Southern California farmers holds rights to large volumes of water and often plants itself at the center of heated Colorado River debates. That it's in our collective interest to live with a little bit less in order to avoid having nothing. In the river's upper basin states of Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, and New Mexico, the federal government's powers are less clear. Peter Fleming is a lawyer for the Colorado River District, a water agency on Colorado's western slope. I don't think anybody knows specifically what any sort of single point of authority that the secretary can say, this gives me the authority to regulate or impose shortages in the upper basin states. In many ways, the whole watershed is in uncharted legal territory, and that kind of uncertainty gives way to lawsuits. 
you know, whether it's in the lower basin or the upper basin, the secretary shuts off the valve, um, you know, I think they know there's going to be litigation that follows. The political pressure on water managers to come up with solutions is mounting, says Elizabeth Kobley, a political science professor at the University of Nevada, Reno. The public eye is really on the river right now. If they can get beyond the current crisis, Kobley says, this moment of reckoning could open the door to other, more innovative ways to manage water in the West. And that might force some changes in a way that we haven't had kind of the political will to force in, in the past. She says whether the political will to make those changes exists is still an open question. I'm Luke Runyon. That story is part of ongoing coverage of the Colorado River produced by KUNC and supported by the Walton Family Foundation. Arizona lawmakers are not sitting still as Colorado River water continues to fall short and another cutback looms. The legislature passed a bill at the end of this session that sets aside $1.2 billion over the next three years to try and solve the crisis. Dr. Sharon Megdahl is director of the University of Arizona Water Resource Research Center. We started our discussion with what stands out in the bill. I'm very excited that the state has made a financial commitment to water. Over the years, they haven't really committed large dollars or many dollars at all to working on water projects, water conservation. We know back in 2019, there were some special funds that went to conservation grants and the like. But unlike, you know, some other states, maybe our neighbor to the West California, which, you know, they have bond issues and they have other things for water projects. We we don't have that here other than at the individual community level. So this is a real departure in the 30 years or more that I've been involved in water in Arizona, just haven't seen this kind of investment by the state. And so I think it's noteworthy. And although there may be many questions and questions about the governance and the organization, it seems like there's a real attempt to compromise because of the recognition of the need to invest in water for the future of Arizona. It's more than a billion dollars, but it's also being loosely tied to some pretty big ideas. Where do we start? I've been getting a lot of questions over the last few months, really ever since Governor Ducey's State of the State, when he mentioned the binational desalination with Mexico. And then I hear people say, oh, we could never import water from the Mississippi, Missouri, whatever. So what I've been thinking about in terms of developing a strategy for the investment of funds is that number one, you have to do some studies. Even in the case of binational desalination, the study that was completed in 2020 was really a conceptual study. It was a very well done study. It was a binational study. Uh, I was on the CAP board while that was being done and the CAP board was the contracting entity for it. I think very highly of the study, but it's not an engineering study. It did not say, here's the location, here's the size. It talked about opportunities rather than options. And right now that's a couple years old. And so you have to go to the next step in evaluating the opportunity for binational desal. And I think it's worthy of, of studying and investigating. And likewise, people are serious when they're suggesting we could import river water from somewhere else. 
And my attitude about that was changed when I heard that some people were talking about importing flood water, water that da does damage in the Midwest. They were talking about the potential for kind of a win-win. You know, not that Arizona is going to make a grab for some other state's water and they don't, that other state doesn't want that to happen, but maybe there's opportunity for collaboration. I hate to sound like I think we should study the world to death because I don't. And somebody will say, well, here's Sharon Magdell for the university. And of course, she's going to say about studies because that's what university people like to do. I don't care who does the study or who does the analysis, but we need to know what we're talking about. People have a sense of urgency and really want to get the ball rolling on this. How should the board for this new fund go about its work? I think we have to take a deep breath and look at what are the options, what it is we want to look at. And then the other thing I think about, and I don't think this is necessarily very popular, partly because we do quite a bit of planning in the state of Arizona and we do modeling, but Arizona doesn't have a state water plan and many Western states do. To me, I'd want to make sure I have a good sense of what the needs are and how it looks on a statewide basis in order to kind of make decisions about what are we going to bond for and so forth. And also fundamentally, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done on just understanding what this new WIFA organization is and helping people understand and what is it doing for the urban areas? What is it doing which the urban areas have more capacity to pay for things than the rural, rural areas, but we know the rural areas need water too. And so I think we have to probably take some time to do an inventory. You have experience on state boards, both water-related and not. How should the board for this new fund go about its work? In the 1990s, from 91 to 97, I had the honor of serving on the state transportation board. I represented Pima County. And the state transportation board has oversight or the role to play in investing in the federal highway system in Arizona and the state highway system. And we have a state highway system. We have connectivity. As a, This is very different from water, where water tends to be provided for the most part at the local level. We do have some, of course, regional projects, Central Arizona projects, Salt River projects. But in developing the state plan and the plan for investment, it was kind of a bottom-up plan where you got the transportation plans from the local councils of government and you kind of built up and built it up into a statewide plan and that would determine investment. I recognize water is different for lots and lots of reasons, but I still think we need to have a better understanding of the whole, understanding what the needs are, because we have this unprecedented, probably at the state level, it may in fact be unprecedented opportunity to invest on behalf of the state and we want all parts of the state to be part of that. And I think the legislature made that very clear. But again, I think there are details to be figured out. One of the, the questions I have heard about this money is, it seems like a very small percentage of it 
is for conservation projects. Most of it is for finding new sources of water. Is that the right way to go about it, or do we need to spend more time, money, and effort on conservation right now? I'm very glad to see that there was the money added specifically for conservation. We have to take care of the resources we have. And it doesn't make sense to invest a lot of money in other things until you are confident you're doing a good job in investing uh, or, or managing the resources you have. With conservation, you know, now we're talking or I've heard talk about, you know, having grant programs that incentivize conservation. And I think that's great. And I think we need more of that. I'm trained as an economist. So fundamentally, I'm going to say people respond to economic incentives. And when it comes to water, even though we know water is precious for many people, it's still not a dominant portion of their bills. I mean, I pay far less for water than I do for my cell phones from a family than I do for our cable TV. And so you know, what will motivate people? What will try to get them active or, or expand programs already in place? We've talked a lot about big projects and agriculture. What are the areas where we can make smaller changes, but make them thousands of times, like, say, with residential water use? There's some controversy around the whole question of if we conserve water, is it for the growth is it for the people here to make sure we have enough? Is it for both? Arizona's going to grow. We're an attractive place to live. People are coming here. And we can't put a wall around our communities. But we can take a look at how we grow, how we design, particularly because we are still growing. And so I think we need to think about what our houses look like, what our communities look like and recognize that we can be a very attractive place to live without looking like the East or the Midwest where there's lots of water. You know, I'm just kind of preforming these ideas here, but maybe some of this conservation could go to home builders, maybe a competition about how can you incorporate more water conservation. I, I, Chris, I think you've lived here long enough now. You may recall that when the city of Tucson implemented a, a gray water stub out requirement for houses. Right. There was opposition to that um, from the home builders because it was going to increase the cost. I, I'm not sure what all evolved with that, but that could be a real selling point for houses now. You know, for people to match the water quality with the use, you know, you can take your washing machine water and water outdoors. So I think we have to think about how we design the built environment and not separate that out from these other discussions. It's really got to be all in. Every one of us is part of this. And I hope people will engage with this process of determining how to invest this money. That was Dr. Sharon Megdahl, director of the Water Resource Research Center at the University of Arizona. You're listening to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week, we examine looming cuts in Colorado River water and Arizona's billion-dollar legislation to mitigate issues that might cause. 
Tim Dunn represents the Yuma area in the Arizona House of Representatives and is the chair of the Land, Agriculture, and Rural Affairs Committee. He also sits on the Natural Resources, Energy, and Water Committee. Representative Dunn works in the farming industry, running a company that sells and exports a variety of grains. He started our conversation by talking about the importance of the legislation. Really, this is revolutionary. It's the biggest thing we've done on water since the, since the 80s. So there's several components to the bill itself. Uh, when you take the Water Infrastructure Finance Authority that is existing legislation now, it's existing entity that works with federal money, mostly cities apply for it to do infrastructure projects with loans. That's what the old WIPA was done. It's been done for years. And so we've taken that with this bill and taken the existing infrastructure with WIPA, moved it out of the Arizona Finance Authority and stood it up like it used to be six years ago. We've heard, okay, it's $1.2 billion for water, but for the layperson, what's in the bill? What does this really do? The bill creates the new advisory board that's appointed by uh, the governor and the legislative leadership from the Senate and the House, bipartisan, four appointments, and then there's uh, five appointments by the governor. That's an advisory board that will make the decisions on where the money is spent. Then we get into where does the money go? There'll be four pots of money. That's the existing federal legislative money that comes in for those loan programs for water infrastructure finance projects for cities can do for a direct potable reuse system or for just infrastructure. Those, that stays there. That money stays there. We have the new $1 billion that's going to be accumulated over three years. That's going to go into the augmentation fund. And then that money is allocated. 75% of it has to go for new projects or big projects that are going to bring new water into the state. And then 25% of that money can be used for conservation efforts that would also bring in new water. The other fund is $200 million that was added to a conservation fund that's going to have its own advisory board that will give recommendations to the uh, WIFA board. These are programs like Tucson is doing now with rainwater harvesting, uh, like Las Vegas did where you request funding to take out lawns, take out pools. These are real conservation measures that can help uh, programs like that. There's a lot of money for the state of Arizona to be able to look at saving water because every drop matters, and we need to really look on that holistically. That's the conservation fund. And then we have the uh, water supply development fund, which technically was set up last year when we did the drought mitigation board. So people don't realize we set up the drought mitigation board, which had some augmentation money and some water supply development money. So that $200 million that was put aside last year that wasn't spent is now rolled into WIFA. So we actually are going to have $1.4 billion. So that $200 million that's in the water supply development fund is, is basically looking for rural Arizona outside the three AMA areas to look for projects that can actually help augment water into the into the water supply. Flood water retention basins, there's a lot of natural resource conservation districts have plans where they can actually slow down the water in the stream beds and have it, it slows down that it permeates instead of going down and evaporating. You're not gonna do things that are gonna hurt the water rights of people downstream. It is very conscientious of those kind of programs. All the above is what we're trying to do to help uh, work on, on the state of Arizona's conservation program and looking for new water. Last year, when we got the first official declaration of a shortage on the Colorado, agriculture in Arizona was the one that took the big hit. Is there anything in this bill aimed specifically at agriculture, either to help them find some more water or to help them offset some of the costs from that hit? 
That's a good question. And so, you know, the, the, the hit from last year was because of the law of the river and the priority system. This bill uh, specifically does not allow any water to be transferred off the Colorado. It can do some conservation measures that agriculture can use. But really, the looking for new water coming in would probably not necessarily go to ag unless there's a way we can use the ag to help supply an aquifer. So if you're bringing new water that's going to come in from outside of the state and the cities aren't ready for it, there is ways you can get credit by putting it into the groundwater by going through irrigating certain crops. And so there is nothing that says we can't use this for specific ag. One thing that's not specifically in this bill, but that's been along with the conversations we've had with Israel being here and the focus on uh, groundwater management and those kind of things is there's $30 million that was a separate bill that I ran that was it actually just been being in the budget was for a water conservation efficiency measures that would convert from flood water to a drip or a sprinkler type situation. And with that is strings attached, what crops were you growing before? What was the, the water you're using? The specific checks and balances to make sure that we're going to be saving water. Then you could apply for those grants up to $1,500 an acre or so. That's going to really give us the data statewide, what, how much we can save on the water for, for farmers. That's the long answer. I could have just said, no, there's nothing in it, but there is some stuff in it that's going to help. We're all in this together, and, and agriculture does use 70% of the water, but technically it goes through through the cow and gives them sort of milk so that people use it, so the, the water is used by all of us. Governor Ducey uh, certainly got a lot of attention in January during his State of the State when he mentioned the possibility of a desalination plant in Mexico. So people are talking a lot about that in conjunction with this bill. Is that the only place you all are thinking about finding water for Arizona, or are there other ideas to get water that's not in the state into the state? Obviously, that was one of the ideas that people looked to right away. Uh, last year, I had a bill that I worked in with the National Association of Conservation Districts. There's been a project that was talked about bringing from the headwaters of the Mississippi and Missouri rivers coming across into the Green River, coming to Lake Mead. So those are kind of projects that are seem like crazy ideas, but basically you win-win by stopping the floodwaters that's actually causing millions of dollars of damage every year and bringing that water across. That'd be a pretty big project. And we've had folks since that bill passed, uh, haven't had much response from Congress, but We've had a lot of folks from around the world seeing that and have sent us ideas on engineering, wanting to help engineer that project. We've got other folks that have some uh, projects in New Mexico that they say they have access to water that are natural gas folks. So this whole conversation has really enlightened people Said, hey, we want to help. We've got ideas. Obviously, they want to make money, but there's ideas that have been floating around for years. It just takes a synergy of money. So if you take a billion dollars to start and you have the bonding authority, now you can parlay that into bigger projects. Pretty soon, the synergy of working together a little bit different than coming out of Mexico. We've had a lot of people concerned with owning a facility and we're specifically talking about not owning facilities. You'd be buying the rights to the water. There's all kinds of conversations with that. There's conversations about doing stuff in California, which I'm not sure if that's even any better than, than Mexico, but they're all, everything's on the table. What can we do to help bring water here and not have any preconceived notion? Because it's kind of funny when Doug, Governor Ducey was talking about this, there was a lot of naysayers saying, well, you've already got a project picked. You've already got somebody doing this. And then say, no, we don't. And then some of our, my colleagues on in the center were going, well, we don't want to put the money there unless you have a project. I'm like, well, you can't have it both ways. You can't say we need to have a project and we don't have a project and you should have a project. So I've been hearing it from all sides over the last four months as we were going through this. But the main thing is, is get a good board picked, get them appointed and just put everything on the tables. And what can we do to, to really work on getting water? This is before we've had the new 
conversation with the Bureau on the status of the river that's happened since June 14th. You mentioned that status of the river conversation that's going on. And of course, we all know the story that uh, the, the amount of water in the river is decreasing. How quickly can some of these things that we've been talking about, can we see an effect here in Arizona? You have two issues. So you've already got the farmland in Pinal County that was cut because of the tier one shortage. You have the current status of what is the reliance on the CAP users on the river that's potentially going to be cut in the tier two and tier three shortages. I've been reminded and I remind other folks that in the 80s and 90s and 2000s, we plan for these kind of shortages by putting water in the ground. We have the groundwater bank. We're converting to more conservation measures. Uh, these This conservation stuff that we put in this bill for the 200 million would allow continued efforts for the cities to try to conserve if they get shorted. And if they're a CAP user, they will be transitioning in the short term to pull water out of the ground for the groundwater banking. So this is helping conserve, but the augmentation portion, in my mind, is not set up to actually offset the shortages on the river. This is to help if that continues. This obviously is the bill that got the big headlines. Were there other things that came through the legislature regarding water that maybe we should be talking about but just aren't? That's a great question. Yeah, we did have several things that were either tagged along with this, like I talked about the $30 million for the flood water. One part of this legislation that was a separate issue was $3.5 million to the Department of Water Resources that's ongoing funding for them to come in and do a water inventory in the aquifers around the state. Every aquifer is a little bit different. And so for as policymakers, we need to see the data and really not just have a knee-jerk reaction to someone who's worried. We also have some funding that's, uh, I think it's $1.5 million for the Department of Environmental Quality to actually do the rules and guidelines for direct potable reuse. Right now, Scottsdale is doing indirect potable reuse, so they pump the water into the ground, and then they pull the water up about 100 feet away and bring it up. But this is clean water. That's going to be key going forward as far as helping us to conserve and to reuse our water. Those are the biggest things that were passed that are on a water standpoint. We've got some other little things that are tweaks that are, are important to individual segments of our area. All right. Well, thanks for spending some time with us. Yeah, no, I'm glad to do it. Any other, anytime I can do anything else, I'd love to talk. That was State Representative Tim Dunn, who represents the Yuma area. And that's the buzz for this week. Tune in next week as we mark 105 years since the Bisbee deportation with a deep look into the incident and its origins in another Arizona mining town. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Zach Ziegler is our producer, Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.